good, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. If you'll please stand with us and let's worship together. Well, I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. Oh, I was breathing but not alive. All my failures I tried to hide. It was. You called my name
Amen. I hope it's a glorious day for you, the day that you are saved and continues to the day.
Amen. Great is the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you are a visitor here at Northside this morning, you are welcome. We are glad that you are here. If you would, take a moment, either turn over on the back of the bulletin and scan the QR code, fill it out, or grab a contact card out in the foyer, fill it out. We want to know you're here. We want to flood your inbox. We want to come when you're having supper. <laughs> we just want to get to know you. Uh, so if you would do that. Uh, Find out visitors, Northside people, hug their hand, shake their neck, or however that goes.
Thank you. You can go back to your seat now and remain standing. We'll continue to worship together. You got it on? Okay, let's go back to our place and command a tremendous to stay standing and we'll continue to worship together. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place when we all
Oh, I am so sorry. My bad.
right, am I good now? Y'all pray for my wife. It's hard for her to be the only smart one in our relationship. (laughs) Come on, young lady. We are going to be in the book of Habakkuk today. Happiness is knowing where the book of Habakkuk is or sitting next to somebody who does. So I'll give you a few minutes to get there. If you don't know where it is, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Our family, we enjoy puzzles. And when you pop open a jigsaw puzzle, what are the first four pieces you look for? Corners. Then after the corners, what do you look for? Your sides. And then it gets a little bit easier. For Father's Day, Isabella got me a puzzle that has been the hardest puzzle I believe I have ever had. It's a chicken puzzle. But it's not like a normal rooster. I mean, it's paisleys, it's stripes, it's polka dots, and it has been the hardest thing. They're not traditional shapes. There's only two corners, a beak and a tail feather. And everything else is rounded, and it's all all side pieces except for two. But two weeks ago, Aaron gave us a timeline. And so he gave us some of the side pieces. I want to put a few corners out, throw out a few side pieces so that we can fill in. And Habakkuk speaks directly to that. So if you would, let's turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. I'm going to read a fair-sized chunk of scripture. If you feel called by the Lord to stand, by all means stand. If not, feel free to sit down. But Habakkuk chapter 1. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw... How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contentions arise. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father God, Habakkuk has a timely word for us today. Though we're separated by about 2,700 years of time, he speaks to who we are and where we are today, Lord. Father, we've come to you, you who give sight to the blind. Lord, you make the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Father, you call forth the withered hand to work and you raise the lame to walk. Father, give us eyes to see your glory today. Father, give us ears to hear of your miraculous works. Father, give us mouths to speak the gospel. Father, call forth our hands to do your work and feet to go where you call us. Father, may your people hear a better sermon today than I am prepared to preach. Father, at the end of the day, may you change us. God, make us more like you than we are yesterday. Father, make us more tomorrow than we were today. Father, draw us closer to you. Father, open our eyes to who you are and all that you are. Father, we thank you for your holy word. Father, we thank you for who you are and the shed blood upon the cross. Father, be with us now. Father, set me aside. I'm just a clay pot. I ask that you teach, that you preach, Lord, that you guide and direct. Father, we're always careful to give you all praise, glory, and honor. It's in the life-changing name of Jesus the Christ that we ask it. Amen. All right, guys, if y'all would pull it up. Two weeks ago, Aaron gave us a timeline, or yeah, two weeks ago, going into Esther. And it's coming. There we go. 
And so on the one that he sent me, we've got one item that precedes the 722 date. He put up there that the kingdom is split in Israel. That happens around 950 B.C. The kingdom is split. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, takes over the kingdom. Jeroboam doesn't like that up in the northern kingdom, and so they come at each other with a civil war, splits the kingdom. Rehoboam takes the lion's share. Ooh, that was almost a BJ joke. <laughs> and Jeroboam takes the northern kingdom. We call the northern kingdom Israel. The southern kingdom is Judah. We split. Well, we come forward about 150 years, and we get to a little fisherman guy. His name's Jonah. He's a prophet for prophet. And Jonah gets a word from the Lord. God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, Tarshish, you say? Okay. Hops in a boat, heads to the edge of the world. Tarshish is about right on the edge of where Portugal and Spain meet. It's the last gas for 2,200 miles before you get to the United States. Well, on his way there, they begin to play a rousing game of Yahtzee, the dice roll, and who does the lot fall to? Jonah. What do they end up doing? Throwing him over the boat. What happens to Jonah? He's bait. Right, gets swallowed by a fish. Now, God says something about the fish in his word that we see, but a lot of times we overread. It said that God had prepared the fish. God took Jonah's stupidity into account. That is mercy for people like me. God, God has taken that stupidity into account. So God, had, God knew Jonah was going to run and prepared a fish, brought him back. What is Jonah, where does Jonah go after that? Nineveh. What does he do? He preaches. Walks into Nineveh. God said, and I'm sure it was something like, oh, Jesus, you say? Yes, we repent. We repent now. And so for 40 days, they repent. And that's a huge thing. We don't think about it, but it's a huge thing. Because God's going to use the Assyrians. The Assyrians are going to be God's attack dog in just two generations. In about 80 years, he's going to use them. Well, fast forward 80 years, the Assyrians, they attack the Israel, the Israel kingdom in the north, take them into captive. They spread them as far from Turkey to what we know as modern Afghanistan today. They're spread throughout the kingdom. Well, we fast forward a few years from that. And we encounter a king by the name of Uzziah in, the, in Judah. Now, all of Israel's kings, it's been bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king. They don't have a single good king. But now down in Judah, it's like good king, bad king, bad king, eh, okay king, good king. Well, no bad king again. Uh, well, he started good, but now he's bad. And so there's all these different varieties of kings. When we get to King Uzziah, and King Uzziah is a great king. He... he he represents the pinnacle of Judean military, Judean finance, Judean culture. He, he is the very pinnacle of it. And as he's getting older, he begins to feel his oats. And one of his, one of his counselors says, you know what? You need to sacrifice to God. What you need to do is you need to burn incense to God. And Uzziah's like, yeah, you know, he's given me this great kingdom. I've done a great job. I've been a military leader. I've been a financial leader. God has really blessed us. I think it would be a great thing. Well, Uzziah goes into the temple. He waves the censer, and the priest comes in and sees him and rebukes him, and at that point, leprosy covers him. And for the next 10, 12 years, Uzziah spends his life as a leper, and he eventually dies. Well, we've got a prophet that talks about that. Who's the prophet? Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, 
It opens, In the year that King Uzziah died, I was in the temple, and I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Well, King Uzziah's sin against God occurred at a very specific time. It occurs in 751 B.C. 1,500 miles away, there's a couple of brothers. They've built a wall around a fishing village, and they establish a city. It's on the Tiber River. Who is it? Rome. Romulus and Remus, they have founded their city. They have fortified it. Well, they've taken over an Etruscan village, and they have turned it into their city. And so Rome, when the, the pinnacle of Israel falls, or the pinnacle of Judah falls, Rome is being established at the same time. It's going to play in. This is a side piece for us. Well, we get down to 722, Syrians defeated the northern kingdom. They're taken into captivity. We get through Isaiah, and then we get down into the 630s and 640s, and we've got a couple of guys that lands us to where we are today, to Habakkuk. And in our first four verses, we, Habakkuk says, How long, O Lord, will you call for help, and you will not hear? I, I cry to you of violence, and yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? You, yes, destruction and violence are around. It's a pretty rough time. It, it's horrible. Hezekiah has already been king. He was a great king. But then his son Manasseh comes into the rulership. What does Manasseh do? He undoes everything that dad had done. He builds altars in high places. He reestablishes the Asherah groves. He institutes Baal worship. He walks in the ways of Ahab and Jezebel. And he brings cursings upon Judah. Well, he dies. And his son Ammon isn't any better. And he only gets to reign for two years, but then we get King Josiah. And Habakkuk's written just prior to Hosea. So, or Josiah, excuse me. And so we see this. And what we see in the culture is we see priesthoods where the priests are transvestites. It's a homosexual priesthood in a lot of these Baal temples. We see something very similar today, don't we? I mean... We see a degradation of society. We see child sacrifice reinstituted. We see prostitution. We see every evil that we have today. The only difference between us and Judah in the 630s and 40s is we can do it faster. It's on speed dial. We can get to it faster. We can go there faster. And by getting there faster, we have longer to revel in it. We have longer to make ourselves debased in it. We ha it's, it's just easier for us to get to. That's the only difference. Man has not changed. Man is still the same. Justice is perverted. Our courts, we have judges that can be bought. We've got some great judges. Don't get me wrong. We have excellent judges, but we've got judges that can be bought. They can be bribed. They turn the other cheek. They don't listen in court. They don't pay attention. Why? Because this young man's skin color or this young man's background or this young lady's heritage or whatever. Well, I've got a bias against that. I'm not actually listening to the case. I can be swayed because of what I see. Justice is perverted. It doesn't go forth. We've got the child sacrifice. We've got the prostitution. Theft. Tortured. Just general evil. That's what we see when we see strife exists and contentions arise and wickedness and destruction. All of these are just for no purpose. The words that are used here, aven and aval, they imply that there's, it's pointless. There's no reason for it. You don't have to hit the old man going down the street. You're doing it because it's fun. Do we see that occurring today? Yeah. We see people just attacking people for no reason. 
guys eating bath salts and chewing off faces. There's so much that's happening here. And Habakkuk's calling out. He's like, God, do you not see what's going on? God, when are you going to act? God, why is all this happening? God, don't you care that your people perish? Cry of the church today. God, help America. God, why, why has America gone wrong? God, why are we suffering so? God, why do we have these things? You've got people that are calling out to you, people that are chasing after you. But God, why? And Habakkuk screams this, and he's, he's mad at God. But then God answers. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder even. Because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe it if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people, who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. The horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their hordes of faces move forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings. And rulers are, laughing. rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held guilty, those whose strength is their God. I imagine this was a lot like the disciples in the boat with Christ. Storms raging. Christ is asleep. They wake him up. Master, don't you care that we perish? Jesus stands up on the bow of the boat, right? Looks out at the storm, says, peace be still. What do the disciples do then? It says they marvel. They're more afraid now than they were of the storm. The storm is a big natural thing, but here you have one that controls the storm. Habakkuk's cried out, God, don't you care, don't you care? And God says, I'm sending a people that are worse than you to punish you. And this is where we begin to build side pieces and we begin to put the frame around what's happening. Who are the Chaldeans? It's interactive, speak up. Babylonians, they come from the plain of Shinar. Does Babylon pay a, play a big part in the Bible? Yeah! What, what, when we first encounter the plain of Shinar or Babylon, what's happening? We're building a tower. And you'd think if they were building a tower to God, they'd have started on a mountain and not in the plain, but probably zoning and ordinances and such. But We, we, encounter, we encounter them first in the plains. And they build the tower, and what does God do? Splits the tongue, disperses everybody. And then from there on, we have a little struggle that goes on regionally between the Babylonians and the Assyrians. First we have the Assyrian Empire, then we have the Babylonian Empire. Then we have the Neo-Assyrian Empire, which is what we're familiar with, Sennacherib and Sargon II and Ashurbanipal, those guys. And then we have the Neo-Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar II, Nabopolassar, Nabonidus, we're familiar with those guys, Belshazzar. And so there's this struggle going forth, but God's raising them up. Babylon's only, Neo-Babylon's only raised up for 85 years. They have one purpose and one purpose only. 
and that's to chastise the nation of Israel. God raises them up for one purpose. When Habakkuk's writing this, there's another guy up the street. His name's Nahum. He's writing a letter. He's writing a letter to the king of Nineveh, and he explains how Nineveh's going to fall because you're a hasty people, because you're unruly, because you're unholy, because you're seeking after yourself, because you're seeking after things that are not of God. You're going to fall. And he lays out letter for letter exactly how it happens. And then we go to the history books and we see how the man that invaded Nineveh does this. Nahum tells the king, the, flood, the waters of the flood are going to wash away your walls and the troops are going to enter. Well, the young man that comes in to take over the village, he diverts the river. He diverts the aqueducts during flood season and he points them towards the city. And what does it do? Washes out the wall. Babylon enters in exactly the way God said. They take the people captive exactly the way God said. And so Habakkuk's now writing to God, don't you care? And when Nineveh falls, Ashurbanipal the king has just died. He's got a son named Tiglath-Pileser, and this is about 625 B.C., so it's just it's between the top two. And Ashurbanipal dies, Tiglath-Pileser's king. Well, there's a guy over in the Babylonian province, the governor. His name's Nabopolassar. And Nabopolassar has three sons. We're not familiar with two of them. They're probably the rejects. They, they went off to a hippie commune and didn't vote the way dad voted. And so he's only got one that he's proud of. And he's like, Nebuchadnezzar, come here. I want you to go and I want you to take care of the Assyrians because now's the time. If we're going to make it a kingdom, now's the time. So son, go. And so Nineveh's attacked by a man that's an architect. He's an engineer. He's an artist. He's a scientist. He's a historian. Nebuchadnezzar is like the man's man. He understands so many sciences. He understands history. He understands military thought. And so he goes in and he, and he captures Nineveh. And while he's fighting against Nineveh, there's a guy down in Egypt by the name of Pharaoh Necho. And he thinks to himself, hmm, Babylonians are fighting the Assyrians. Assyrians are fighting the Babylonians. I hate both of those guys. Hmm, I'm going to send a letter. I'm going to send a letter to, the, to, to Tiglath, and I'm going to send a letter to Nabopolassar. I'm going to be like, hey, look, I'm going to come up. I'm going to help you guys. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to let them fight each other, and then I'm going to kill whoever's that left, and I'll be the king of the hill again. He sends the letters. He comes up. Well, Nebuchadnezzar has won. He's, he's won so bad that he's chased the Assyrians all the way into Turkey to a little place called Carchemish. And then Egypt shows up, and Pharaoh Necho apparently does not want, want anything of Nebuchadnezzar, so he starts going back. And Nebuchadnezzar chases him all the way back into Egypt, defeats him so bad that Egypt never rises as a major military power to this day. They are impotent up to this point militarily. They never rise. And while he's on his way back, Dad says, Well, you know what? While you're coming back, just go ahead and take care of those Jews. You know what? They're right here in the middle. They've enjoyed enough independence. If we're going to make our kingdom big, just go ahead and take care of them. There's no need in coming back just to have to go back and deal with them later. Just go ahead. And so on his way back, he stops by Jerusalem, picks up a few key hostages, among whom are who? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, picks up a few hostages, takes them back. And that's where we begin to see Habakkuk playing out. Now, 
God says, I'm doing a work that if I were to tell you, you would not believe it. And so we take what he, we're told here in Habakkuk, and we look at the guys around him. We look at Daniel. Daniel's taken and put into a place of authority. And he's given favor with Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he interprets that dream, and he tells him all about that dream. And so Daniel's given favor. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they gain favor with Nebuchadnezzar. And so there, God has a key person in a key place for a key time. And eventually, Daniel goes through three or four different monarchs because there's a struggle within Babylon between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar at the end. And so he's maintaining who he is. He's walking day in and day out. He's praying with God. Well, Babylon gets conquered by who? Cyrus. Xerxes' grandfather comes in. He takes over. Well, what happens to Daniel? He gets called back into service out of retirement, and he serves there. And he serves over a body of ministers, counselors. It would be their equivalent to the Senate, and we see that in Esther. We see these people that counsel Ahasuerus or, or Xerxes or whatever you want to call him. His counselors fall, would have fallen under Daniel's rule. Some of these guys probably even knew Daniel personally. And Daniel passes on something within this body, and we see God working. We read the books individually, and we don't necessarily overlap where they go. They tell the story of God. God says, I'm working a work in your day. If I were to tell you, you wouldn't believe it. What he's saying to Habakkuk is, yeah, Israel's bad. Israel's unclean before me. Israel's unholy. You're walking in unrighteousness. But here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send in a conqueror. He's going to come in. He's going to take over. And then after a while, I'm going to have my guy in his court, and he's going to pass on something, and somebody's going to come in after him and take over. And what's going to happen is those, <laughs> the people are then going to come back, but a few of them are going to stay. And then somebody's going to come in after him and take over and allow the Jews to go back to their worship. And then somebody's going to come in after him, and they're going to provide for the gospel to be spread around the world. Everything that we're studying within Esther, within Habakkuk, within Nahum, within Jonah, it's the beginning. We turn over to chapter 2 of Habakkuk. I, I encourage you to read the whole book this afternoon. It'll take five minutes. If you're a slow reader like me, it may take you 45. But in, <laughs> in my Bible, it's three half pages. So I imagine it's probably like a page and a half in most of yours. But chapter 2 and I think there was probably a night between chapter 1 and chapter 2 and Habakkuk's had time to sleep on his conversation with God because he begins, I will stand on my guard posts and I will station myself on the rampart and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. The Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that one who reads it may run for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal, and it will not fail. Though, it's a little, though it tarries, a little slow getting started, wait for it, for it will certainly come, and it will not delay. I know it's slow getting here, Habakkuk. I know it's slow. But once it starts, it's going to gain momentum. It's going to be this little bitty rock at the top of the hill, 
and it's going to roll, and it's going to roll, and it's going to gain momentum. And by the time it gets to where it's in fullness, it won't be able to be stopped. What God starts way back with Saul plays out in the book of Esther. What he starts out in the 800s with Jonah plays out in Habakkuk. And all of them are rolling to one central point. They're rolling to the cross of Calvary. They're rolling to the anointed king, the one who rides in and the people claim, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And God's always going to preserve his people to that point because if we read the next verse in chapter 2, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. Y'all thought Paul said that, didn't you? Paul loves this book. We see Habakkuk in a lot of Paul's writing. He says in Galatians and in Romans, and if you're one of those that believe Paul wrote Hebrew, which is probably the vast majority of you, it's in Hebrews too. It says the just shall walk by their faith, or the just shall walk by faith. And Paul loves this book so much, he wrote a synopsis of it in Romans. Well, David, it's only three chapters. It's a page and a half, two pages at best. I know, but Paul writes a synopsis. What chapter is it? It's not a chapter. Well, where is it at in Romans? What, what section is it? It's not really a section. It's one verse. Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Could you imagine being Habakkuk and God saying, Israel's going to suffer. Israel's going to be invaded. Your people are going to be scattered. <laughs> people are going to be killed. There are going to be those that are tortured. You're going to be taken to the four corners of the earth. God, that's a bit to take. These people are unrighteous. They're worse than we are, and you're going to use them? Yeah, I'm going to use them. I used the Assyrians against the northern kingdom. I spread all of those ten tribes across what, we, what you would call the world. But God, it's the Chaldeans. You know what kind of people they are? Yeah. And God tells him, I know what kind of people they are. They're the kind of people that have fast horses. They're the kind of people that have a bloodlust. They're the kind of people that want to just come in and torture. Why? Because it's fun for them. They enjoy it. And I'm going to use that. I'm going to use their sinful desires to punish. And we ask, why does God allow evil? Well, God, if you're such a loving God, how can you allow evil? Because I use it. He tells him, I'm going to use these evil people. And he tells him at the end of that passage in chapter 1, but they're going to be judged. They're going to be judged for what they do. I'm going to judge them. And God continues to make these promises. The Assyrians take over the northern kingdom. Babylon comes in and takes over Judah. They take over Assyria. And they spread Jews all across the known world. They spread them from the lower portions of Europe all the way into India. And we see that playing out in Esther, do we not? Mordecai, te Mordecai tells Esther that you're made for probably such a time as this when we get in there. Saul's sin comes to a head in the book of Esther, but it plays out because the book of Esther is reliant upon Genesis and the Tower of Babel, and it plays out in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. I'm doing a work that you would not believe if I were to tell you. Paul preaches of the mystery throughout Romans and Galatians and Ephesians. He talks about, in 1 and 2 Corinthians, he talks about mystery. 
And we often say that that mystery is the church. Well, the mystery is divided into three portions. The mystery of Christ's first coming, the mystery of salvations for the Gentiles, and the mystery of the church. Jews, you're not going to believe this. God's got salvation for those that will call upon his name. God's got salvation for the Assyrian. Jonah doesn't like that. God's got salvation for the Babylonian. Habakkuk doesn't like that. God's got salvation for the Philistine. David didn't really care for that. God's got salvation for those that will call upon him. I'm doing a work. I'm working towards this, Habakkuk. Listen to me. I'm going to use these evil people. They're going to be judged. Well, God, okay, God, I'm going to stand here because I know you're going to reprove me. God says, good. And that's when he tells him, the Lord answered and said, record the vision so that folks can run and tell. Tell them what I'm doing. I'm telling you just a small portion. We're building side pieces. We've got to have these side pieces to understand because we've got Cyrus that comes in and Cyrus decrees that the Jews can go home in 538. There's actually four decrees over the course of about five years that Cyrus gives. And for those of you that are huge prophecy buffs, which one do we use? The answer is the fourth one, by the way, because it decrees for the city. But he says, go home. Go back to your land. And so they go back to their land. And so we get part of David's house that goes up into the Galilee, and they have a little town, and they call it the city of the branch of David. We know it as Nazareth. So we've got the Netzer. And not only that, we've got a priesthood in Persia that has had the influence of a godly man. They've had the influence of Daniel. So that in 500 years, when they see a star in the sky, they're not three old men riding camels. It's not John and a few others taking a trip, Karen, Curtis and John and maybe Ron. Could you imagine a road trip with these guys? Pull over. We just pulled over 20 minutes ago. I know. I said and I had the coffee. It's not just three old dudes on camel and a couple of servants. This is a full military contingent. The guards aren't going to tell Herod, hey, three old guys came through today. Said they're looking for the king. Three old guys? Yeah, it's just three old guys. We wouldn't worry about that, would we? No. But if you've got three kingmakers, three priests of this priesthood, three senators from the northern empire, that are coming down and they've got guards and they've got camels and they've got treasure and they've got tents and a Roman guard says, hey, you got to pay tax. Yeah, I don't think so, Skippy. We're going to cross this bridge. We're on official business. It's all playing out. All of these pieces begin to work and we say, God, this is amazing. It's unbelievable. I know, right? John Grisham couldn't write this. Century after century, God is calling his people to work. God is using those that don't accept him to work. We have pieces to put into this puzzle. I have pieces that you don't have. People out there have pieces that the church does not possess. What are we doing? We're filling in this puzzle. There are great pieces that the church will hold and beautiful scenes. And then there are scenes of degradation that the world will have that are used to tie the beautiful scenes of the church together. Man, that's awesome. But what does that mean for me? 
What does that mean for my Monday morning murder of self? That's a colorful metaphor. Thank y'all for using that. I appreciate that. We're called to that Monday morning murder every day. If any would come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow. It's, it's killing that self. What does this do for my walk? What does it do for your walk? When it's hard and you feel like you can't go on. God's doing a work. When you're hurt and it feels like the church is against you and people are on top of you and just coming against you. God, what is the sense of this? I am doing a work. When death comes and it seems so untimely, God, I am doing a work. A lot of times we take Romans 8.28 and we change it. God's working everything for your good because you love the Lord and you're called according to His purpose not what it means. Habakkuk doesn't feel the good in this. Habakkuk's going to probably be murdered. Anybody here ask for that on your Christmas list? No, I didn't. It's not for individuals good. Is there good that comes out of it? Yes, the individual good is experienced on that day when the sky rolls back and the sun sets his foot on the Mount of Olives, and the graves open up, and their soul rises and is reunited with your body, and you stand before the King. I am doing a work that you would not believe if I were to tell you. But God, you're using people that hate me. I know. I created them. I'm using them. But God, you're using circumstances that hurt me. I know. I allowed them. I prepared the fish for just such an occasion. God, I am pushed and I am stretched far beyond what I can do. I know. Come to me, you that are weary and heavy laden, and let me give you rest. I'm doing a work. I'm pushing you. I'm pushing history. It's his story, right? In Isaiah 44, I believe it is, who is it that declares, it is I that declares the end from the beginning? Maybe wrong on that, maybe 46. But it's I that declare the end. It's like it's a giant chess match. You've got one who knows the game. And then there's a copycat who has studied the master's moves. And Satan says to the master, I've studied your moves. You go here, I do this. You go here, I do this. When you use this piece, I use this piece. I know exactly how you're playing this game, I, and I'm going to match you. I'm going to copy all of your moves. And then the master says, it doesn't matter where you move. I'm going to win. Habakkuk realizes that God's in charge, and he holds to that. And in chapter 3, some of the most beautiful poetry you will ever read in all of Scripture. Robert Burns would be so proud. Poetry that says, though the fields go dry and barren, God, I'm going to love you. Though there's no cattle in the stall, God, I'm going to love you and I'm going to stick to you. Though I am tortured beyond anything I can conceive of, God, I'm going to hold to you. I'm going to seek you. 
till all of time goes by. God, I'm going I'm, I'm to seek you. I'm, I'm going to follow after you. I mean, we, we, we see our overtures of love around Valentine's Day. You know, like, I think it was Robert Burns. Ah, though the sands of time slip through the hourglass, my love shall never fade for you. Though the sky of parchment and the sea of ink, I could never begin to write my love for you. Habakkuk saying that. God, you are so good. God, you are so amazing. God, you are so awesome. How could I ever turn from you? What does this mean for us? What does all of this mean for us? It means that God is not uninterested in your salvation. God is not uninterested in your walk. God's taking a sin a thousand years before Christ to bring a conflict in 438 B.C. so that it plays out on the day of Pentecost so that you can hear the gospel. Something 3,000 years ago has implication on your life. Something 2,500 years ago has implication on your day today. God's word is not mute when it comes to his love and his desire for your salvation. God is at work. He didn't just give the globe a spin and say, there you go, figure it out. He's involved on the day-to-day. He seeks you on the day-to-day. He's wanting you. He's desiring you. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. That's the best kind of love. I want you because I want you. I desire you. God thinks you're to die for. Come to him. Seek him out. When we read the lists of names, know that there's a purpose. So-and-so begot so-and-so. So-and-so begot so-and-so. And they begot so-and-so. There's a reason it's there. God wants you to know that. We have all of these history books, and if we take the time to lay them on top of each other to see what God is doing, it truly is unbelievable. I urge you, read the book today. Take the afternoon and just read it. It, like I say, it should take you five minutes. Lower reads, probably 10 or 15. But we see a man who's upset by his surroundings, as he should be, trying to walk in righteousness, trying to walk as holy before God, seeking after God's face, clinging to God. And he's crying out, God, why? And God said, it's for my purpose. It's your sin, but I'm working it. What you call pain, I'm calling growth. What you call hurt, I'm calling it advancement for the kingdom. And I'm calling you to myself. Paul was beaten. Paul was whipped. Paul was stoned. Paul was cast out of many cities. And for him to still write, God's working everything for the good for those that that he's called and that he loves. He's seeking after you. Yes, we have trying times. Yes, we have hurting times. Yes, we are in a society that has lost its ever-loving mind. It has gone crazy. And in just a span of about 10 or 15 years, we have dove off the deep end. But Malachi tells us that God writes a book of remembrance of his people. God, in your wrath, Remember mercy. In your dealings of justice, remember love. 
be not deceived. God's not mocked, people. Society can turn its back on God. It can turn away from God. But God's still standing there. I offer you forgiveness for your sin. I offer you forgiveness for your transgressions, for your iniquity, for your wickedness, for your violence. Come to me and let me wash it white. Think on it this afternoon. Give it a quick read. I promise you, it is not a waste of time. It is a great book. Father God, I thank you for the day. Father, for you are holy. Father, you are righteous. You are true. And Father, though we do live in a society that seems to have gone just crazy, Father, we ask that you reign. Father, that you be exalted. Father, that you be glorified. Father, that you be praised. Father, be with us now as we leave here in a few moments. Father, may you be exalted. May you be glorified. May your name be upon our lips. Father, we love you. Father, we praise you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Just a few announcements tonight, 6 o'clock, Watermelon Social. Bring your seed spitters. Be ready to go. Um, VBS coming up in just a few weeks. We still have tags out on the board for supplies for VBS. We still have a few worker spots available. God's calling you to work. See Rachel out here in the foyer. Get signed up. Uh, coming up on Saturday the 29th in July, we have a work day up at the Georgia Baptist Children's Home. Uh, there will be some outside work, probably some inside work, so everybody can come and participate. Uh, Sweet 16 this Friday. Uh, remember, ladies, if you're coming, it is a potluck, so bring a dish. Uh, am I missing anything else? No, uh, no Wednesday night service this week. Oh, and if you do have a baby bottle, be sure to get it in this evening so we can get it down to the Coweta Pregnancy Center. Uh, if you're a visitor with us, the pastors will be back next week. I'm sorry you got subjected to fourth string. You'll get over it. <laughs> but tonight, watermelon, be there or get sticky. Or be there and get sticky, either or. Uh, Ryan's the deacon of the week, so he's going to close us out. Like David said, uh, remember uh, our pastors, they are in Ecuador right now with our mission team, so be in prayer for them. They will be returning this Friday very early, uh, so be in prayer for them for a good week of ministry there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us this time to gather together in your house today, Lord. Lord, thank you that your hand is always at work in history, Lord, that even though that we cannot always see it, that it is there, it is always moving, it is mighty, Lord. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, help us to have faith that your will will be done regardless, Lord, that it is meant for your good eventually, Lord, that uh, we'll be working together to honor and glorify you. Lord, help us to have faith in that and that we would play our role in that, that we would be serving you well, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.